Welcome to the Dr. Mundell podcast. It's been a while, but I'm super, super psyched to have Rachel Shear here. Um, I was uh, very fortunate to be a guest on her podcast a little while back, and it's great to circle back now several months later. And, you know, we're post-pandemic now or post-pandemic-ish. And uh, just to kind of tell you guys a little bit about Rachel, um, she is a certified functional medicine nutritionist. That's a mouthful. And we're going to find out exact, exactly what that is. Um, you should definitely follow her on Instagram. She's got an amazing page uh, where she gives tons of uh, nutrition tips, some fitness tips, just some life tips. Um, she's got a practice in Texas, but I imagine you probably service patients all over the country. I imagine, you know, just all over, all over. I just booked someone yesterday who's all the way in uh, in Europe and England. So yes, everywhere. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, yes, you know, so and your platform really speaks to it. You're obviously like in incredibly fit, also. So you know, folks want to want to get advice from you because they probably want to look more like you. <laughs> um, and um, totally, and it's it's awesome. It's an amazing platform. I've you know, I'm an avid follower, and I really enjoy your content. And I'm just really excited to share you with my audience and and uh, to get to know more about you. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Thank you for having me on today. I'm so excited. So let's let's just start by. Why don't you tell us like what a certified, um, so I know, I know what a nutritionist is. I know what a, a dietitian is. Maybe you can tell us what the difference between those two are, if there is a difference. And then where, and then there's a whole functional medicine component to what you do. So, you know, it's sort of a fusion of various, very important things. And maybe you could just kind of walk us through exactly what you do. Yes, of course. So functional medicine nutritionist, I'll say most people have never heard of that before. We've probably all heard of a nutritionist, dietitian. Those words definitely get interchanged quite a bit. Um, one way to kind of describe it is, you know, all nutrition or all dietitians are nutritionists, but all nutritionists aren't dietitians. So I'm a Ted Baylor for nutrition science and dietetics. Um, and that's why I received my bachelor's in nutrition and dietetics. So that's what created my credentials to become a registered dietitian. However, there's a lot of ways to become a nutritionist nowadays. You can literally go online, take some kind of like a certification to become a quote unquote nutritionist. So all dietitians are nutritionists, but not vice versa. Now, functional medicine, you know, that's kind of just a label for the way we look at health. And this is something that actually came a little bit after I became a registered dietitian. Um, functional medicine really just means root cause. So with typical Western medicine, you know, we have Western medicine physicians, you know, it's more like a symptom type approach, which there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we need it. You know, we need our primary care doctor. We need those internists when you get sick by all means go see your doctor, but functional medicine is very different. We're looking at the root cause chronic lifestyle type issues. And what a functional medicine nutritionist will do is we use medicine as food. So, so we kind of look at what the root issue may be. We do some extensive lab testing, which you only can do that as a registered dietitian, physician, nurse practitioner. And we look at things more in depth as well. So we may look at things like your gut microbiome, hormones, adrenals, deficiencies, food intolerances. But the question we're always asking is why? Why do we have a problem in the first place? What do we need to restore function? And oftentimes it comes back to the foods we're eating, what we're putting in our bio, body, our stress management, um, environmental issues as well too. So we really help coach people through these lifestyle and dietary changes so we can really get to the root of the issue and get them feeling their best again. So that's kind of a little bit of a short summary of, yeah, functional medicine nutritionist is uh, what I would call myself. 
I like it. Uh, you know, I think it's very important. So, you know, as a Western medicine practitioner, I have to tell you, you know, I didn't learn anything about nutrition in mm -hmm. medical school. We took a maybe a couple of weeks long course and it was really just very, very superficial. Like everything was, it was very, very basic. And I truthfully didn't learn anything about nutrition until I had a personal fitness transformation, like, you know, which started like 10 years ago and where I really started like diving into, okay. Like a lot of people will say, and I, I do this with my patients too. I, I like to consider myself a functional medicine dermatologist. Um, a lot of my patients will say, you know, I want to eat, I want to eat healthy. And they don't really know what that means. It's like, you know, there's, they're really, you know, and until I started like, you know, really tracking my macros, weighing my food really and also the things that i ate you know really paying attention to the, the things that i ate you know what was making those macronutrients i didn't see any change in my body and then i started seeing dramatic change when i started paying attention to it so this is this is for me this is a um a very fascinating area so i'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to like learn more from you um and, it, and it's i think this is something that so many people need to just know even just the basics because a lot of my listeners are into fitness or and are into nutrition and you know i have a lot of podcasts about this sort of thing um but there's not a great amount of understanding not a lot of experts like yourself so why don't we just start with maybe a little bit of your journey because i know like you kind of fell into this area because of some personal stuff and you know, you were having some issues with your gut and you were a competitive athlete you were a physique athlete correct yes like i did bodybuilding competitions i was not like the big bodybuilders on stage by any means i did like bikini competitions mm -hmm. cute fit um six pack abs um and i started competing actually when i was at baylor becoming a registered dietitian um and i grew up as an athlete i was a gymnast and i was a dancer so when i went off to college i was like this makes sense you know nutrition and being an athlete and i was never like a good enough athlete to become like one of the cheerleaders or to do gymnastics like that. So that's kind of how I picked up weightlifting and, you know, just being someone who's really competitive, perfectionistic, like that's a lot of my personality. I got so into bodybuilding. I started doing fitness competitions. I competed for about three years straight, which is actually what kind of built my social media following kind of off of the physical, you know, the Rachel Shears six pack abs. I did a lot of fitness modeling as well too. I was on the cover of train magazine, bodybuilding.com men's health. So I was like from the outside looking in like the epitome of health people were like oh my god this girl is health her body I want to look like her and honestly you know it started out as a very healthy venture like I just was like I want to be my best I want to be incredibly healthy I want to be fit because you know maybe I wasn't in the best physical shape during that period and you know college even though I was going to school for nutrition I was also a sorority girl you know going out drinking doing things like that so this is when I got super, super strict in my life. So the first couple of years, it was an incredible, um, healthy venture. And I, anyone who wants to compete, I'm 100% an advocate for it, because I think the mindset you create, the confidence, it is something that you can't replace. And I know that's something that you even found through your own health journey is just like the mindset um, and the consistency and how that shows up in other areas of your life. But it was kind of where I took it a little bit on the far end, which definitely happens with perfectionist type people. And um, I started just to kind of push things a little bit too 
far. I wanted to be the best, look my best all the time, 24 seven. And this is when I actually started to develop some different health issues. Um, my hormones started to get off. I started to have thyroid issues. So that was kind of the first turn of events. Um, and then eventually I ended up with a lot of chronic gut issues and my gut issues became actually pretty severe. So here I am, I think in my early twenties and my hormones look like I'm basically a menopausal woman. My thyroid like isn't functioning at all. It's completely like suppressed, uh, which is what our body does when it's in a very, very stressed, low calorie, low energy intake place. And so I'm depressed, you know, my hormones are a wreck and then all my gut is a complete mess and I can't eat anything without being in massive pain. So I had all these food sensitivities come about and I was bloated every single day. So for someone who had spent so much of their life, like working on being healthy and physically fit, I literally felt betrayed by my body. And I remember during that period of my life, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like I am doing so much for my health to, to look the way I look, to be fit, to be in shape. And yet my body almost felt like I was being like, I was betrayed by it. So I ended up going to a bunch of different doctors. I go to an endocrinologist for my hormones. I go to even the Mayo Clinic. They do a bunch of different testing. Um, I go to a gastroenterologist, CT scan, MRI, colonoscopy, endoscopy. I get all these labels thrown on me. You have IBS, you know, here's something for that. You have a depression. So here's an antidepressant. Here's birth control for your hormones. So I was just kind of given all these different pills. I felt like I didn't have any answers. And um, honestly, I finally ended up at like a colorectal surgeon's office and he actually wanted to cut out and remove my entire large intestine. So we use the label IBS quite a bit, which is an irritable bowel syndrome, but there's definitely degrees of it. And it's not a diagnosis, it's accumulation of symptoms. And I'm like, hey, yes, I know I have an irritable bowel. That's why I'm here, help me. Um, but my gut issues became so severe, just the motility, which means the transit through my gut completely stopped working. And that can be pretty serious. I mean, we need to use the restroom and this isn't a sexy topic by any means, but that's kind of where my health ended up. So, you know, this colorectal surgeon's, um, you know, plan was to just, okay, cut out the large intestine. So the small intestine to the rectum and this will a lot of the motility issues because essentially we shortened the entire intestine. And for me at the time where I was in, so depressed, desperate, I actually was highly considering going forward with the surgery. I sat there in the office with my mom, with my boyfriend at the time, who's not my ex. And um, I just was like in tears, like about to schedule the surgery. And I don't know what came over me in that moment. God, my gut, just despite how messed up it was, but I didn't feel like peace about going forward with the surgery. And that's what kind of let this fire under me to do all that I could to figure out what was actually happening with my body. And I just became obsessed with learning everything that I could about hormones, about our thyroid, about our gut microbiome. And I had my background in nutrition and dietetics, of course. So I kind of combined the two, my own education, but that's what kind of started me down this whole functional medicine path. 
And um, it was through learning so much about our gut health and how the little microbes in, in our gut play a role everywhere between the transit of our food to you know our overall mental health, to our skin, to our digestion, to literally every function in our body that I was able to kind of start that healing process for myself. And um, it definitely wasn't an overnight fix. I will tell anyone and any of the clients that I work with healing the gut is probably harder than any weight loss diet you will ever do because even healthy foods, foods that a lot of people can tolerate, we're talking like broccoli, garlic, onion, avocados, oftentimes the gut no longer tolerates because it's become hypersensitive. And if I can even create an analogy of what was happening in my body, now that I know it with the education that I do have, um, but my body was basically in this crazy stress state. You know, and when we're in the stress state, our cortisol levels are high, our body's stress hormone, and we actually become pretty catabolic. So for those who are listening, catabolic just means breaking down. So you can think like a bodybuilder, maybe, you know, anabolic, building up. The opposite is catabolic. And we break down things. We break down muscle tissue when we're in this place, but also what takes a massive hit is our gut lining. And our gut lining is only one cell layer thick, so it can easy become, easily become permeable. And this is what we call a leaky gut. So when this happens, it kind of sets a cascade of events for microbiome imbalances, toxins, and things like that to build up in the gut. Um, that's one way that cortisol can affect the gut, but cortisol also influences our body's hormones. It also influ influences our thyroid, so it down-regulates our body. Uh, it down-regulates our thyroid, and it down-regulates our hormone production. So now kind of looking back at everything, it was a stress-related issue that literally started the cascade of all of these different events that caused my gut microbiome to be off, to become leaky, slowing the motility, my hormones, um, my thyroid to be off. So it did take, you know, healing of these specific areas of my gut, what I did there, but it also took a lot of, you know, stress reduction and working on that, putting on some weight as well too. So that's what really got me into functional medicine. It was my own health issues, kind of being on that side, um, being on the extreme side of fitness and realizing that, you know, health goes beyond just being physically fit for those that are listening. It really is, yes, physical, but is also also internal. And I think it is also even spiritual as well, too. And that's what I see a lot with my clients is we start out physical, you know, getting them in shape, working on the diet, we definitely move into the internal things, what is off hormones, gut, and it always even evolves into the mental and the spiritual side, which is why I love what I do so much. Yeah, I mean, it truly is very holistic, you know, um, I guess we just take I know everyone has a different there's a different like quote unquote prescription for everybody, but like, what were some of the things that you implemented at that time when, when everything, your gut was completely out of whack? Like, what are just some like basic things that you did and maybe that are applicable really for anybody, you know, who wants to make sure they're, you know, they don't have like a, a leaky gut or, you know, are, are doing things that are harmful to their, you know, gastrointestinal tract. Yeah, so there's kind of two ways that we can look at this. Now, a gut healing diet is very different than a gut healthy diet. And those two things I do want to differentiate because what I had to do 
was a little bit more on the extreme side. I had to remove a ton of things from my diet. So I like to call this like the weeding and the reseeding of our gut microbiome. So like I said, the foods I used to be able to tolerate good, healthy foods, I no longer could. And when someone has a gut microbiome imbalance, they often become very sensitive to different types of carbohydrates. We call these fermentable carbohydrates. So you may have heard like of a, a FODMAP diet. So we oftentimes have to pull out for a short period of time, these foods that are very fermentable to gut bacteria. Now that can relieve a lot of the symptoms, but it doesn't really get rid of the core issue of what's going on. So I pulled out a lot of these different foods that my body had become hypersensitive to. Um, and then I started to work on rebalancing my bacteria. Now, some people may do, you know, antimicrobials, antibiotics, if they're dealing with a lot of different type of bacteria overgrowth in the gut. Um, I ended up having to do that because I did have a lot of overgrowth in my gut. So that's kind of part of that weeding, pulling out some of these foods that we can't tolerate, trying to kill off a lot of the excess bacteria buildup. And then we really want to re-inoculate the gut with things that are good for it. So this is where I may utilize some different supplements. This may be like omega-3 fatty acids, which are very anti-inflammatory for our gut, making sure our vitamin D levels are nice and high. That plays a big in our immune system. 70% of our immune system is based in the gut. Um, some really good gut healing supplements are glutamine. I'm always talking about that on my mm -hmm. social media. And when we're in a state of stress or a breakdown, we actually pull glutamine out of the gut. And we do the same thing when we're working out, we pull glutamine out of our muscle tissue, which is why a lot of athletes will utilize it for muscle recovery, but it's also very healing for the gut lining. Um, aloe vera, licorice root. So it's kind of like a weeding, a reseeding, adding in some good supplements. And then also during that period of time, addressing the root issue. So for me, it was a lot of stress, stress between training. Um, I will say even also my diet at that time maybe wasn't in the best place, although I was fit and lean. I utilized a lot of like artificial sweeteners and more diet foods, which these are such big gut disruptors. And one thing I always tell my clients are, you know, just because there's no calories doesn't mean there's not something in your gut that's eating it, like the bacteria in your mm -hmm. microbiome, which is why if you read the back of things like sucralose, which is found in a lot of pre-workouts and protein powders, mm -hmm. one of the side effects will say, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, and that's all that fermentation that's happening from your gut bacteria. So for me, it was about a year-long healing process for the gut. So it was a weeding and a receding and also addressing the core issues of what caused it to become off in the first place. Now, that's more of like the gut healing side. It is very restrictive for a lot of people. That's why I always am an advocate for working with a professional if you're trying to truly heal the gut. Now, gut health is a completely different area. Um, we don't have to be restrictive. We don't have to pull out a bunch of things for our diet, except for maybe things that aren't so good for supporting a healthy gut microbiome. Um, for foods that support a good, healthy microbiome, I'd say it's minimal ingredients, unprocessed, organic, without herbicides or pesticides. So really just food in its wholesome form, like literally eating real food. But if you think about it, we don't eat a whole lot of real food. Everything's processed, refined, comes in a bag or a box with long lists of ingredients. So it's really getting back to eating whole food. 
And it takes about six months to fully reset our gut microbiome. And it takes about three months for the gut lining to rebuild itself. So by the foods we eat, we are feeding different bacteria in our gut microbiome. So every time you eat an avocado, you're, you're literally eating the microbiome of that avocado. Every time you eat berries and all of these whole foods, we're creating more diversity in our gut microbiome. So the more diverse our diet is with fruit and vegetables, high quality protein sources. So things like grass-fed beef or bison, wild-caught fish, pasture-raised chicken, lots of healthy fats, avocado, olive oils, the more diverse our gut microbiome will be. Um, and that's really what we want because when I do microbiome tests on a lot of my clients here my, with my practice, I will say about you know nine out of 10 people have a low diversity going on with their gut microbiome. And when we see a low diversity, this is what can sometimes lead to some of these health issues, sometimes IBS, leaky gut, pathogens to come about in the gut. I've even seen hormonal imbalances where the bacteria can literally cause you to become estrogen dominant and reabsorb that back in. So the first thing we want to do is just the foods we're eating, making sure we're eating whole foods and in its most natural form. Other things we can do to support a good healthy microbiome is getting some different prebiotics and probiotics. So probiotics, most of us have heard of, um, these are good bacteria. You can take them in a supplement form. Um, you can also take them through food. So this is sometimes things like miso, kimchi. There's other type of fermented foods like the kombuchas. You just wanna make sure they're low sugar kombuchas because they can definitely be like a fruit juice sometimes. Fermented pickles, sometimes even yogurts if you tolerate dairy. So these are good bacteria that we're able to add into the gut. Now, prebiotics are food sources for bacteria. So, you know, we have the probiotic and then the prebiotic. So these are the things that are going to be feeding the bacteria in our gut. So this is oftentimes going to be just fibers that we get through food sources. Some people may supplement with some prebiotics with their probiotics, but I find that food is going to be the best source of this. This could be things like artichokes, onion, underripe bananas are great sources of prebiotics. Yeah. I put one of my protein shake. I saw your Instagram story and I put one of my protein shake today. A green <laughs> yeah. banana. I was like, I want to use a green banana today. I always do green yeah. bananas. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're less fermentable to gut bacteria and they have a lot of that prebiotic fiber, garlic, mm -hmm. apples, asparagus, flax seeds. All of these are prebiotics as in food sources for this bacteria. So we're doing a combination of things. We're eating whole food. We're getting some good probiotics. We're getting some prebiotics. Some other things that are great for the gut is um, something called polyphenols. And polyphenols are what give fruits and vegetables its bright colors. So if you've ever heard of like red wine and how red wine is good for us, not the alcohol, but the, uh, the part of the wine that is called resveratrol. And resveratrol is a type of polyphenol that has actually been shown to a decrease inflammation in the gut, but also promote more gut diversity with the type of the bacteria we have. So sometimes I'll get people to eat more polyphenol foods. This can be blackberries, cherries, plums, vegetables. So like carrots, purple, sweet potatoes. Um, it can actually be coffee, cocoa, wine in very, very small amounts that alcohol is not good for the gut. Um, so we can try to focus on the types of foods that we're eating. 
Um, and the last thing I do with a lot of my clients to just support a healthy microbiome is trying to increase their short chain fatty acids. Most people haven't heard of short chain fatty acids before. So we've talked about the prebiotics, the probiotics. This is basically what they produce. So this is basically like a postbiotic. And these are just byproducts from good bacteria fermenting these pre prebiotics in the gut. And they're very, very protective. One of the most well-studied uh, postbiotics is called called a butyrate. And this butyrate actually helps create this mucus that lines the gut. And if you can think about it, like this mucus is very protective from pathogens, from inflammation. It's just kind of like coating that gut, you know, and protecting it. And we can increase butyrate uh, production in the gut by A, those pre and probiotics because they're producing more of it. But you can also use two teaspoons of a ghee, which is a clarified grass-fed butter. And you get 300 milligrams of butyrate doing so, which is also very very healing for the gut. So big differences between the healing diet and then a gut healthy diet. Um, but if you're somebody who is trying to heal your gut, you're going to end up doing both, but you just have to start with the healing phase before you can really move into that gut healthy stage. Because like I said, sometimes the foods that may even be included in a healthy gut protocol may not be tolerated when your gut is a little bit impaired. Yeah, I mean, there's, first of all, that's a lot of information. And um, it's obvious that, you know, if someone is really trying to repair their gut, you really do need to work with a professional because obviously there's a lot of detail that goes into it. And, you know, all of those things, it's complicated. You know, everything that you just talked about is complex. And um, that's why you need to see a professional if, if, sure. if, if it gets to, yeah. out, of, out of whack. Um, and I just want to also just, I know I've said this before, but your Instagram is just so full of information. Um, like I said, I, I didn't know to put a, I used a green banana in my shake today because I saw it on your Instagram story yesterday. You also like post a lot of the stuff that you're eating, um, your meals, you post a lot like on the weekends and stuff, like what you're eating, which is I think very helpful for folks to actually see like what a full meal looks mm -hmm. like. Um, because like I said, a lot of people in their mind think they're eating healthy, but they're actually not. Um, and, you know, a lot of you post a lot of these pictures that the before and after pictures were like someone's like really, really bloated. And then they're just kind of, you know, they're basically not bloated and ripped after that. What are like and what are those people doing? Is that like a healing diet or is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's trying to figure out what their root issue is. Right. So I'd say in most people, it comes down to some kind of a microbiome imbalance. He's dealing with a lot of bloating. So the pictures he's talking about is I have these before and afters where we see a lot of before and afters with people losing weight. These are like bloated, have a food baby type photo. And then after they have these like flat bellies, maybe some six pack abs showing, um, which is literally what my gut looked like. I looked like I was like six months pregnant, which I had like a six pack over the top, not cute at all. Um, but yeah, for a lot of these people, based off of what their core issue is, we may be doing some kind of a microbiome reset with the weeding and the reseeding. For some people, it's maybe identifying some food intolerances, like dairy is a really common one. Eggs is a really common one that I see come up a lot of, with people. For some people, it may even be just like a hormonal imbalances with a lot of the women that I work with. So we do a lot of this extensive testing to help us identify what these things may be. Um, unfortunately, when you go to like your primary care doctor, they're not going to do a microbiome test, a food intolerance test on you. Um, they're going to kind of look at, okay, are we sick? What do we need to do in order to fix it? So it is just kind of a different type of care, both needed. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's normally what we're doing with a lot of those people with those photos. So is this like, you, obviously you do blood tests, but you just do samples as well, I guess. Is that how you yeah. figure it out? So okay. it would be a stool test. We have to get 
the stool to get the bacteria to see what's going Got on it. with that. Got it. And then let's talk a little bit about the blood work you did. So you, know, you mentioned vitamin D. So obviously you're checking vitamin D. What other stuff are you checking in blood work? Oh yeah. So we check a ton in the blood. We look at the whole uh, neuroendocrine system. So this is going to be all of your hormones. So sex hormones, but we have more hormones than just our sex hormones. We also have that cortisol, stress hormones, um, DHEA, which is also produced by adrenal glands. So if stress is part of the picture, we can really try to identify that. For some people, we may even do a full day long cortisol awakening response to see if there's anything off there. Um, we'll also look at your blood sugar. So seeing if there's any insulin resistance, blood sugar imbalances. We'll look at your full thyroid hormones to see if there's any thyroid imbalances, autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's. We'll look at deficiencies. Uh, primary deficiencies we look at are like your omega-3 fatty acids. And most people don't look at this. They don't look at their ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s. I'd say most people have way more omega-6s than they do omega-3s. So those omega-6s are those pro-inflammatory fats. They promote inflammation in the body, which for for us, we want that to happen because that's actually what helps us when we're sick. It helps us when we're injured, that inflammation. But most people are getting about 20 times more than they need based off of the standard American diet that is very pro-inflammatory. And what's cool about this test is when we look at it, we can literally look at the ratio of omega-3s in your brain because these omega-3 fats are the only type of micronutrient or one of them that can cross your blood-brain barrier. So we're literally looking at the ratio of fats in your brain so people who have depression, a lot of chronic inflammation, neuro issues, it actually can sometimes be a direct reflection of that. Um, micronutrient, vitamin D, B vitamins, um, and then we'll do the food sensitivity test. So it's about 96 different foods as well. So that's a blood test? That would be a blood test. Yeah. It's like an allergy type test or it's a sensitivity test. So allergies are very different and sometimes mm -hmm. they get confused. So an allergy um, is a completely different type of an immune response. It's going to be an anaphylaxis type response. So if you go to an allergy clinic, they'll maybe do like a skin prick type test. This is tested through the blood, two different types of an immune response. It's an IgG and an IgA immune response. So typically when you come back with these food sensitivities, it's because of what's happening in the gut. Either the gut's leaky or we have a lack of digestive enzymes to break down the food. And now you have become sensitive to these foods. So oftentimes food sensitivities aren't a true, true sensitivity, but you become sensitive based off of these other different factors. Got it. Yeah, one of the things you actually mentioned that I thought was a very important point was just because you're sensitive to something at one particular point in your life, like after you've modified your gut microbiome, you may not be sensitive to that thing anymore. Like, you know, you, you can, your food sensitivities can evolve over time, oh, yeah. which I thought was pretty fascinating. Cause you know, like it's, it's intuitively like, you know, when I'm thinking about food sensitivity, I, my mind just goes straight to allergy. Like if you're allergic to something, yeah. you're allergic to something, but it's very important to know that there is a difference there. And you know, you're, you might not be able to tolerate a food you know, because your gut microbiome is completely out of whack, but yeah, once it's restored, then you can tolerate it again and yeah. it can be beneficial. Yeah. If you have a true allergy, you're not eating that food. Right. Like if you have a dairy allergy, an egg allergy, we're cutting those foods out. We're never eating them again. Um, sensitivities can come or go. Like I talked about the fermentable carbohydrates. A lot of people with gut issues can't tolerate. They become sensitive to them, but it's not a true sensitivity. You fix the gut, they'll go away. If your gut's really leaky, if you're low in digestive enzymes, maybe you have low stomach 
glutamic acid, you know, once we fix that, a lot of these sensitivities will typically dissipate. And, you know, one thing I mentioned earlier was our gut microbiome, you know, resets every six months. So, you know, based off of that, the foods you may be tolerate, you know, now could be completely different than based off of the health of your gut microbiome. I uh, just two, two things I want to ask you about. One is and these are things that folks will frequently say, you know, I'm following this diet, like no dairy, no gluten. Like, you know, that's a very, very common thing that I hear from folks. Yeah. Is like, what are your thoughts on that? It's I feel like a lot of people just sort of do it like it's a nebulous thing. Like, oh yeah, you know, I'm not eating dairy or gluten, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So dairy intolerance is actually very common and I, I am not pro removing dairy, but I will say a lot of people don't tolerate dairy very well. And it's because when we're kids, we typically have the enzymes to break down lactose, to break down milk. And it makes sense. We're a baby. We're drinking our mother's milk. But as we get older, most people actually lose those enzymes because we're no longer drinking our mother's milk to break down dairy, which can create a bit more of like a dairy intolerance. People dealing with skin issues too. They've seen a correlation between mm. acne and dairy, you know, you know, in the world of skincare as well. And then gluten, you know, for a lot of people, they may not be celiac. Some of them may have non, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which for those people, gluten will still break down that gut lining and cause inflammation in the gut, but they're not going to get kind of like that immune reaction, like an allergy type response, but it may not be good for the gut. So, you know, for people who maybe aren't able to do the extensive testing, they're dealing with some gut issues. I usually will pull out dairy and gluten for them for that period of time. So kind of doing like a modified elimination diet, and you can do this on yourself too. You can pull out some of the big trigger foods. You can pull out dairy, you can pull out gluten, you can pull out wheat, you know, do that for at least a full month because it takes about three weeks for that inflammation to come down in the body. And then you can slowly start to reintroduce it. So you could say, okay, I pulled all these out. I'm going to slowly reintroduce dairy, you know, one of these foods at a time and notice if you have any changes. Do you have any changes in like your gut, the bloating, your digestion? Some people have change in just like their overall immune response with their allergies. So this way you can also kind of pinpoint some of these food intolerances, food allergies without doing some of the testing. It makes sense. Common, the common things are common. Like common yeah. triggers are common. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about fitness because of course anyone who follows your page, I mean, you're just- yes jacked and ripped you know uh you're in amazing shape what like what do you do what do you what do you do probably you probably still lifting or you do a combination of lifting and cardio you hit like you know what what is what is like your routine right now yeah. So fitness, of course, was my first love and it'll always be my love. Um, even though I got into functional medicine. So if you follow my page, you'll still see all my workouts and squatting and all of that fun stuff still, uh, all for those six pack abs, but yeah, I still follow like a semi bodybuilding type workout regimen. Um, I honestly don't do a whole lot of cardio. I'm not a big fan of it. I don't ask me to run, you know, further than three miles. I'm not good at it, uh, but I love doing sprints. I do like a little bit of hit work in that sense. Um, you'll see me if you follow me on my stories every single morning at 6 a.m. I'm out at the Dallas Cowboys football field. I'm running my sprints. I'm doing some other hit work. So I do that in the morning. I'm a big uh, advocate for doing some kind of movement in the morning. It's more for my mental health, for my mindset. It's a way I like to start my day. 
And then usually in the evening time, I do some kind of strength training. And I've been literally training weights for the last eight years as a female. And if you follow me, you see my photos. This is as big and as bulky as I was able to get naturally. And I know that's a lot of fear for, for women is they're like, I don't want to get big and bulky. I don't want to look like one of those big bodybuilders. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have been training as heavy as I can for eight years consistently, like rarely taking a whole lot of breaks. And this is as big as I'm going to get. So getting started in the weight room, I promise you is not going to make you big and bulky. Now, for those women who do, you know, genetically, maybe about 1% of the population, but I would say most women don't have that genetics to get big and bulky, but workouts typically weight training, very much bodybuilding style. I train legs three times per week. I'm all on the booty workouts. That's a big core of everything that I do. Um, and then, yeah, doing some hit workouts and sprints. You're lifting, you're lifting six or seven days a week. I am, uh, probably about six days per week. I just love it. It's my, yeah. you know, my mind, my meditation time is where I can completely turn everything off. So it's hard for me to take a day off. And I just listen to my body when my body's kind of reaching that point of like, Hmm, I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I notice my workouts kind of going down a little bit. I'm like, okay, it's time to take a rest day. Mm-hmm. Um, I do take octave rest days quite a bit though. So maybe I'm literally just going for a walk. I'm going for a very light, light run. Um, so I'm doing things, still moving my body, still staying consistent with that routine that's in my schedule. That's really good for my mental health, but I am getting my body a rest because you can't lift heavy and weights every single day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hate, I lift, I don't do any cardio either. Like I just, yeah. um, but you know, you, you actually posted about this too. Uh, I think it was yesterday on your Instagram story, or maybe it was even today about how the, your muscle is really the engine of your body. I mean, it really kind of boosts your metabolism. It helps with your uh, insulin, you know, it, it helps with your blood sugar. It really is, you know, it, it really that's your energy source that's how you burn calories just at rest by building muscle and preserving it you know I'm, i just turned 46 and you know when i'm getting up there so it's it's hard it's it, it, it's it's hard to to keep it on unless you're lifting weights you know it's really yeah. important yeah so that was a great point yeah lifting weights adequate protein intake and your hormones are really the three more most important things for promoting skeletal muscle mass. And a lot of people don't realize this, but as you get older, your protein requirements actually increase because we are uh, in more of that catabolic state as we do get older. So we actually do need to increase it instead of when we're, you know, in our twenties, we're young, testosterone's high, you know, you can have a little bit more flexibility with your diet for sure. But yeah, muscle is actually anti-inflammatory and not a lot of people, you know, think of it in that way. And the number one reason why people end up in nursing homes is because they get that muscle atrophy and they end up with sarcopenia because of the lack of muscle tissue. So the number one thing you can do for yourself to prevent aging, to stay young and healthy as long as possible is to have adequate skeletal muscle mass. Yes, I agree. hundred percent. I was, I just want to talk to you about a couple of other things. So one is, you know, in this, since we last spoke, and I guess it was, it must've been like six or seven months ago, maybe longer, your business is like, crazy like you know it just i can just see it like on just on instagram and stuff like you know you're you're blowing up getting crazy busy and you're you're growing quite a bit um and i know you work with bedros as like as a he's a mentor can you talk to me a little bit about 
mentorship and how like that has helped you kind of scale your business? 100%. Yeah, we've 10xed our business um, in less than a year during the time of a pandemic. Um, so where everybody else was kind of like in the scarcity mindset, you know, my thought process is what an incredible opportunity to reevaluate, recreate, and create my business the way I want to. So I'm a big believer in mentorship and coaching. I'm, of course, a coach myself. I coach other people with nutrition and mindset as well, too. So if I want to become the best in something, I want to learn from someone who has been there, who's done it, who's doing it better than I am. So Bedros had been a long-term friend. Obviously, he's in the fitness industry. He, you know, he's incredibly fit. But beyond that, you know, he runs this massive empire. The Empire Show is his podcast. And um, I was like, I'm going to work with Bedros. And it was one of those things that I knew in literally 10 seconds um, after I'd actually listened to one of his other podcasts. And I was like, this is the person for me. And I think mentorship and coaching is one of the most overlooked things that can add massive, massive impact to all areas of our life. It even, you know, comes down to nutrition and coaching in this area, you know, it's going to go beyond just your body and your fitness. It's literally going to impact your relationships, your mental health, your confidence and all these different areas. So yeah, I made the decision to work with Bedros with my business. Um, and it's definitely been worth it. And if I were to have looked at it as a exchange, you know, money in type mentality, um, you know, I would not be where I'm at today, but it is an investment. It's an investment into yourself. And one thing I always tell people is it's doing two different things for yourself. One, by investing into yourself and to a coach, you're saying, I'm worth it. I believe in myself and I am worth it because you are worth it. You are worth investing into. And it's the only investment you can make that will continue to give you a return over and over and over again, even when you stop doing the coaching as well too. And then also how often do we get advice from people in our life who aren't living what we're trying to achieve? I know I've gotten advice from my family, honestly, like my mom and people in business and they're trying to give me this advice or even have you had advice from someone who's maybe in not the best relationship and they're giving you relationship advice. And I'm like, wait a minute, if I'm going to take advice from someone, I'm going to take advice from someone who is completely excelling in that area. So I have a coach for business. That's Bedros. Um, I even recently have a coach just for my spirituality and wanting to grow in that with my relationships and my faith. So, um, even being a coach myself, I couldn't be any more of an advocate for investing in yourself through coaching. I think that's just so well said, you know, um, I talk about it a lot, you know, all my social media and my podcast and stuff, you know, like success leaves clues and you want to be around people. Like you don't want to, you're, you don't want your trainer to be like, have a beer gut and be out of shape. You want your trainer to be like jacked and, you know, someone that you want to look like, want to be like, surround yourself by people you want to be like that, you know, that you admire, um, who've walked the path already that you want to walk down, you know, and then it's, uh, I can see it. I mean, I see it just in the short time that I've known you, I've just seen yeah. like this amazing growth that you've had. It's uh, it's amazing. And yeah. uh, I'm, pr I'm proud to know you. I'm proud to see it. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. Um, well, I think that's, uh, I think we covered, covered it all. Um, you know, you're, you're just, please tell people where they can find you um, because you're very, very active, like I said, on social media, but I know you're active on, on several platforms. So maybe just kind of give us a little rundown and just go to your website and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you guys can follow me on Instagram. That's the platform I'm mo most active on. You can follow at Rachel Shear. 
It's spelled S-C-H-E-E-R. So it kind of looks like Rachel's Shear. Um, but now Rachel Shear. And then my practice is Rachel Shear Nutrition. I have two pages there on Instagram. And then you can check out my website if you're interested in coaching, learning a little bit more about the functional medicine testing that we do. And that's rachelshear.com. So literally all you have to do is know my name. That's it. So as a, as a, as a bare minimum, you must follow Rachel on Instagram. She's got an aw- yeah. awesome page that will most certainly inspire you because it certainly inspires me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to speak with us, Rachel. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Mudgill podcast. The corresponding video can be found on YouTube, IGTV, and Facebook. Let's get it.